You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, nobody likes this. Nobody likes what's about to happen. I don't like it. You don't like it. The, the f- listeners hate it. The listeners they will just probably started. be fed up with it by the time it gets over. But the truth is, we have no choice. No choice at all. The UFC has left us no choice this week. Forced our hand. They forced our hand by booking three back-to-back-to-back events. Three days of bloody games. Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Las Vegas. So in order to try to get through it all, we got to go five rounds, brother. Five damn rounds. Now, we did this a few weeks ago. We went five rounds, and the results were, I mean, I had to take a spa day the next day. I don't know what you did. I'm still sore. Yeah. Yeah. Not not 21 years old anymore. Very few Sage North cuts over here on the Co-Main Event Podcast. Not even half a Sage North cut, to be honest with you. Your your tips haven't been frosted and I don't know how long. That's true. You could ride around on my shoulders and we still would not be as mighty as Sage North cut. <laughs> and I would not try to want to see us try to attempt a flip. And not to mention, neither of us have sparkly jeans like his dad wears, as I learned in one of the recent embedded videos. Does he wear those sparkly jeans yeah. with like fancy ass pockets? The, the sparkly jeans where the only people who wear them are either young people who are being paid to wear them or old people who want to look like the young people who are being paid to wear them. Yeah, mostly guys who work at music stores. Yeah. Like the guy who gives you drum lessons probably wears sparkly jeans. Or, uh, you know, a, an aging personal trainer in his time off. Sparkly jeans. I found you can tell a lot about a person by how, uh, like how bejeweled their, the back pockets of their jeans are. Don't you think? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I d- it depends what you think that says about them. Cause right now, I gotta tell you, not a single jewel to be found on my back pockets. No. Well, you, you would spend those jewels before they got the chance to go in the back pocket. This episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is once again brought to you by Fulton & Rourke. Fulton & Rourke is a men's grooming company built for the way guys operate. Just in time for the holidays, Fulton & Rourke has introduced a new fragrance. Their latest way, way to make you smell a little bit better is a wax-based cologne called Clearwater and was originally offered as a limited release after getting a bunch of emails asking them for to bring it back. They decided to make it a permanent part of their lineup. Jed Clearwater features Madagascan geranium and oak moss, as I might have mentioned in the past. In short, it's fantastic. Also, be sure to check out their new face wash, formulated with eucalyptus, tea tree, lemon verbena, and green tea extract. It's designed to remove the dirt and oil from your skin without overdrying. That stuff is added to the already great products Fulton and Rourke offered in the past. They've got the killer uh, foam-free shaving cream, bar soap, a bunch of wax-based cologne fragrances that'll blow your damn mind. It's basically like having an old-timey barbershop right there in your bathroom drawer, your gym bag, wherever you want to take it. Ben, tell the kids out there in Radio Land how Fulton and Rourke will make them an offer they can't refuse. Right now, CME listeners can save big bucks on their next purchase by going to FultonAndRourke.com. Rourke is spelled R-O-A-R-K and using promo code CME. Five rounds this week in the co-main event podcast. It is no laughing matter. It is something we must take seriously. I won't laugh the whole time. See if I don't. In round number one, I don't know, man. 
I'm afraid to even say anything. We are this close to Aldo versus McGregor. Maybe we ought to just shut the fuck up and try not to jinx it. Nah, we're not going to do that. And in round number two, Chris Weidman versus Luke Rockhold. Maybe the best UFC title fight of the year. Guaranteed to have zero little girls dressed as either of the principals next Halloween. And in round number three, nobody likes these dudes more than me. But is there any chance that Chad Mendez versus Frankie Edgar just goes out there and has a crackerjack fight and then they end up getting lost in the shuffle? And in round number four, okay, rom-com idea. Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zant just want to have a relaxing time at this couple's retreat. Too bad their new roommates are Rose Nama Yunus and Pat Barry. What? And in round number five, assorted other fight week awesomeness. I don't know. We'll we'll probably just figure it out. When no we get one will there. be listening by that point. Not least of all us. Yeah. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time. Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Devin Scott. He writes, Joe Rogan recently floated the idea of not renewing his contract in August 2016. Is the Rogan-Goldberg duo the best MMA commentators? In my opinion, no. However, they are familiar voices synonymous with the UFC. How do you feel about not hearing Joe Rogan shout, He's hurt, Mike! He's hurt! And everyone, everyone's favorite Michael Goldberg line about every wrestle, quote-unquote, em- embracing the grind. Please discourse this, as Joe would be the first guy to say, You guys are world-class and no joke. Oh, well, okay, since you put it like that, I guess you got us. Um, I saw this and I wondered how much of it was a... Ed- advanced contract negotiating plan. Trying to negotiate from a place of strength? Yeah, it seems like a little far out. I think he was saying in August 2016, his contract comes up. Yeah, that's what it says. It's a long way to... to I mean, maybe he's he's playing some some master chess here right now. We, maybe he knows what it's like going up against uh, the UFC and figures, all right, let's get out in front of this thing and float the idea that I might not come back. But then again, with the success of his podcast and... All the other stuff he has going on, he's been doing this for a while. I could see how he might feel like maybe he'd, he'd rather go back to being a fan. That would yeah. make sense to me. Yeah, uh, he's floated some uh, other ideas previously uh, in the recent past just about how uh, I think like you and me, the the developing science about brain trauma and brain health has kind of, uh, at least I think to hear him tell it if I'm remembering correctly, has uh, maybe not undermined his place as a fan but has made it more difficult for him to enjoy uh, the action of these combat and contact sports. And I, I can, uh, you know, I, I know where he's coming from with yeah. that. I can empathize yeah. with that. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, he's been doing this for a, for a long damn time. And I would say doing it pretty well, actually, uh, you know, there are obviously notable Rogan isms and notable places where, where he's uh, committed gaffes. And, and I clearly don't agree with everything that the guy says, but um, if you're a color commentator or a play-by-play guy for the UFC, you basically just open yourself up to ridicule. It's really, really easy to take shots at television announcers. Uh, and we do it all the time. And, and, and Joe Rogan has been pretty good and pretty informative as, as a, a, a color commentator for years and years, but it would be easy to see, uh, where the burnout might come in. Yeah. As far as how would we feel about it if Joe Rogan decided, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. Honestly, I think you could slide in John Anik and Brian Stan as the new A-team. Right. 
and I don't think you lose anything at all. No, I don't. I don't think that. I mean, at this, I, there was a time when I would have thought losing a guy like Joe Rogan would, uh, you know, inexorably change the feel of a UFC pay per view. Now I'm not so sure, just because they've, you know, they've spread out with with so many guys, especially on color commentary. You just said an interesting thing though, which I think brings up. Another point we could mention here, and I agree with you, I think uh, John Anik and Brian Stan really are, at this point, the A-team of UFC commentators, and to slide them into the pay-per-view role I think would be pretty seamless. Now, the implicit leap that you made was when you started talking about the departure of Joe Rogan, you automatically also included John Anik, as though Goldberg would also get shuffled to the side. Do you think that the departure of Joe Rogan spells the end of Mike Goldberg and I assume his bedazzled genes uh, on UFC broadcasts? I, well, I think you, you probably assume correctly there with the bedazzled genes, but I say it doesn't necessarily mean that if Joe Rogan goes, uh, Mike Goldberg shows up to work and all his stuff has been moved out to the, the curb. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen. And like you also said, they have spread out with a bunch of different events now, so I don't think you can realistically have just one broadcast right. team anymore. I do think, though, that if – I think John Anik and Brian Stan work so well together as a team that I would – even right now, regardless of what Joe Rogan decides to do, I would be all for having those guys just be your your big fight, go-to, A-team, varsity team commentators. Uh, and if Joe Rogan leaves, then Mike Goldberg could work with Kenny Florian or something, and they could do the other events, some fight night events, some of the ones that – uh, Anna can stand, can't, or won't do that kind of thing. But I don't know. Would it, like, if you, if there's no more Rogan, what would you do? You take Stan and force him to work with Michael Goldberg? That doesn't seem. You don't think he would? That's like, I mean, he'll, he'll probably do whatever they ask him to do, but it seems like, uh, come on. Let's not, let's not break up a working combination there. I just, uh, if I were Mike Goldberg, I would feel a little, I would feel weird about that. It's be like if you died, which I expect any time now. Me too. And I, you don't think I could just go out and get another co-host, sub him in here, get John Morgan to move to Missoula, make him an offer he couldn't refuse? I would assume you'd throw yourself on my funeral pyre. <laughs> just that, I, I, that would be the dignified thing to do. I, I would collapse screaming and crying on top of your casket as it was lowered into the earth and just allow them to bury me alive. Well, it is, it is in my will that you be buried with me. Uh, future historians would find our, our, our skeletons intertwined as we died in the spoon position. <laughs> Unclear where one skeleton ends and the other begins. Next question this week comes from Aaron Pinkston before that gets any weirder. Uh, let's live in an alternate reality, writes Aaron Pinkston for a second. With everything that the UFC Reebok deal, where everything but the... Okay, let me start that again. Uh, you just still are in my head a little bit over here. Let's live skeletons. in an alternate reality for a second where everything with the UFC Reebok deal was the same from the pay to the fight kits to the in-competition attire, but none of the gaffes happened. No Giblert, no Kevin Swanson, uh, no con controversy involving the fictitious country of Ireland, no flexibility, uh, no Anderson Aldo. What is the general perception of the deal? Does it seem more legitimate or does it just allow us to focus more on the low fighter pay, etc., without these humorous faux pas uh talk about it a little you know what i was thinking about this after this question came in and i feel like without the the constant gaffes from reebok which at this point uh it seems like they are either just 
like fucking with us, unimaginably incompetent, or they're tanking this thing on purpose. They're like, I think those are your only two options, and neither of them is very good. Or just this is so low on the list of priorities, and it's which I think not you, you could file in the terribly incompetent <laughs> side of things. Uh, I was thinking about this after we got this question from Aaron Pinkston, and I actually think it's kind of an interesting one, just it because is. without the gaffes, I feel like the rest of the stuff would have an easier time flying under the radar. Like we would make a big deal about the fighter compensation uh and the you know the lack of of banners and and uh third party sponsors in the octagon and then like everything else we would get used to it maybe the fighters wouldn't maybe the fighters would continue to make it make headlines about it but like you can't just continue to uh crow loud and long about the same thing over and over again every day forever eventually we would you know, come to accept the new normal, which I think was what the UFC and Reebok, maybe mostly the UFC, were counting on from the beginning. But all of these gaffes just keep bringing it all back up, where, like, every time you see uh, an Anderson Aldo t-shirt out there, uh, not only does it reinforce the, the incompetence and the mistakes that keep getting made, but once your mind starts to dwell on that, then it naturally drifts back to the fact that, like, and everybody is getting screwed on top of this. You know, I thought, because I had not really considered this this question before Aaron Pinkston brought it up. And you're right. It is a really interesting one to consider because I thought kind of not necessarily the exact opposite thing, but I think that as far as the way we pay attention to how the fight kits look and uh, the just overwhelming sameness of it, I think that stuff we probably would not dwell on as much without the gas keeping it, keeping this perception in our minds of Reebok as a team of screw ups. Uh, and that just kind of hovering over the sport, making you focus on that kind of stuff. But I thought maybe the fighter pay side of it would be a bigger deal if it weren't for the gas taking some of the attention there and this, a constant source of like, hey, let's all point and laugh at them material. And I think that that in a way detracts from us considering the actual ramifications of it. And it also maybe makes people think like they change their concept of what it means to be involved with Reebok. They seem like less serious, less big time, the more obvious mistakes they keep making. And maybe subconsciously or otherwise, that has the effect of making us be like, well, of course, they a deal with them does not lead to a bunch of big money in fighter pay. Because why would it? Look, they can't even afford to get somebody on the team who can make sure if and see if Anderson Aldo is a real person. So why should we expect them to, to bring good money to this sport? I don't know. I think that we might stick on that one a little longer, at least if the fighters were willing to keep making an issue. I think that that's going to be the thing with the fighter pay side of it is if the fighters do let it go, then you're right. We can't all keep talking about it. Everybody else will let it go eventually too. But if the fighters keep harping on it, then we will too. The Anderson Aldo shirt was bad, but the Conor McGregor shirt of the same line, I don't know if you saw it, but it's the one that is also completely black and white and also contains what purports to be the Irish flag, but because the the T-shirt itself is printed only in black and white, the Irish flag looks like a large white rectangle with a small black rectangle inside it. Oh, nice. Just almost equally as bad, even though they didn't make up a person, a non-existent person to have a shirt for, but just reducing the Irish flag to... uh, a series of, of smaller rectangles. Well, and, you know, you could also still come back to the the in-competition attire, I think, is still a big problem because with a lot of these guys, and I know we're going to end up talking about it with you know, over 60 fighters set to compete here in the span of three days this week, telling everybody apart, remembering who was who and who did what is already going to be tough. 
and it only gets tougher when it's the guy in the black and white shirts shorts versus the guy in the white and black shorts. There are angles where if they happen to be standing in a certain way, they look exactly the same. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And people always make fun of me on Twitter whenever I comment about that, that from the, a certain angles, the, the UFC fight kits look do, in fact, look exactly the same. Or I, the thing I don't get is when they are showing everybody's name on the bottom, like at the beginning of the fight, and show you which shorts the guy's wearing, and it's like one guy will have a black square and the other guy will have a white square, even though they're both wearing black and white, so that doesn't help. And then when a champion fights, the little color code thing will be gold to indicate champion, even though the champion is actually wearing black. It's literally wrong. It's almost like they should have gone with blue and red or something. Or how about a variety of colors? I, there, I, there are more than two colors to choose that, from. You're getting crazy now. That would re- require way too much flexibility. Uh, the next question this week from Jean Pauline or Jean Paulin. I guess depending <laughs> on how you want to go with pronunciation. Comes to Montana, it's Jean Paulin. He or she writes, do you find that the USADA program, oh, two M's, yields an extremely low rate of positives for fighters using, using PEDs? It's around 0.25%. Didn't, I didn't fact check that. So Neither did I. Take, uh, Jean Pauline's, uh, word for it here. Any thoughts on that? Please discuss. Obviously, Ben, this week, uh, we found out that Gleason Tebow has been, uh, preliminarily suspended, uh, for a, what could be a violation of the UFC and, uh, United States Anti-Doping Agency's new, uh, in-house drug testing program. And, uh, aside from, like, Crocop, he would kind of be the first guy, right? Like, the first sort of high-profile guy to really get if he if he gets served with like a six month or two year suspension, uh, like active, quote unquote in the mix guy to uh, to really get hammered with this thing, uh, and you know it's only been going since July, but I have also noted as Jean Pauline does here that uh, not a lot of people popping positive here so far, and I guess we still got to extend the benefit of the doubt, but if PEDs really were as widespread as a lot of people. Uh, thought that they were, alleged that they were, suspected that they were in, in MMA prior to the, to the, to USADA coming in. They either scared a lot of people straight or we still got people out there beating the tests. Or the sample size just isn't big enough yet. I think that that, before we start throwing around the percentage, I think we just need more, uh, time to evaluate the program. But I also do think, like you mentioned the Gleason T-Bow and Crow Cop thing. Gleason Tebow, at least from what we've heard from USADA so far, seems to be the first person to actually be caught by a drug test. Right. Krokop, from what we've learned... He outed himself. He outed himself and then admitted to it. And the UFC's statement afterwards said that, you know, he has admitted to this and, and accepted the suspension. Didn't tell us whether USADA caught him or not. And I think that that... Ideally, we should get that the drug test results that uh, from the relevant test for Krokop because here's a situation where we know based on the guy's own admission that he had banned substances in his system, did USADA manage to catch him? Like, it's a really good test, which is probably why they don't, won't release that information uh, and let us see what it is. But I think that that's the kind of thing that would help us evaluate how good these tests really are. I also think that for a lot of this stuff, especially if you're only going to test somebody, you know, three or four times, you kind of got to get lucky. A lot of times you've got to have some really good intelligence, uh, but a lot of that stuff does not stick around in your system for very long, especially the good stuff like HGH and stuff. So you got to you got to kind of know what you're doing or you got to just have one fall into your lap sometimes. So I don't know if we should necessarily look at that low rate so far and decide that it's not working. I also do think, though, that 
it's probably a combination of not having tested enough people yet. And I think people are uh, in advance getting off of some stuff. I think we've seen some indications that some of the fighters, ever since that deal was announced, showed up looking a, a little softer than they used to, not quite as explosive in the later rounds as they used to be. I think that in at least a few instances, you can look and say, there's reason to think that some people uh, voluntarily got off the stuff out of fear of USADA, which, you know, that's part of the, the point of the program, too. Yeah, you make a good point about the small sample size. I will also, as an addendum to my previous statement, though, say one thing that I notice about this Gleason T-Bow thing is that he uh, pops positive post-fight. Like, he has already put the work in, right. gone out, and uh, and I don't, can't remember if it was on pay-per-view or a, a FS1 show uh, that he fought, uh, but uh, he, he went out there and performed and, and did his part to make money for the company. So not not getting popped and pulled out of a fight. Before it happens, right? Uh, so we'll just—that's another thing I think to to keep an eye on. And and like I said before, I do feel like we have to give this program the benefit of the doubt until we start seeing how it how it works, uh, one way or the other. Uh, in a pure in a purely speculative fashion, though, if you didn't know anything about the details of the UFC USADA partnership, and I was like, knowing what we know about the people who run this company, let's say they start an in-house drug testing. Uh, program, what would your expectations of how that would work be? I feel like our expectations would be very few guys would get caught and nobody would get caught before they fight. Yeah, well, and I guess I would have expected uh, that the partnership with USADA would be the part that would alleviate some of those concerns, at least until that information about the Floyd Mayweather situation that USADA was involved in with the retroactive therapeutic use exemption. That kind of stuff then makes you think, oh, wait a minute, maybe it's just some of the same problems with a different set of initials attached to them. I don't know. I mean, again, I think sample size will tell us a little bit more about that. I'm also going to be interested to see how some of this stuff is adjudicated. Uh, Gleason Tebow and his statement mentioned that, you know, did kind of the usual thing where he's going to talk to his, his doctors and try to figure out what could have gone wrong, what could have possibly, uh, caused him to get caught in a test. And then he'll use that information and, and do the best he can at his trial, uh, which, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know how that trial is going to go. Uh, but it's going to be interesting, especially the first time somebody gets caught and says, no, absolutely not. This is 100% bullshit. I am absolutely clean. Then we're going to see. We're going we're to see uh, exactly what we can expect from this in the future. I wonder if they'll be putting that on Fight Pass. They do, they do need content on Fight Pass. Next question from Josh Montgomery this week. He writes, so this comes from the land of hypothetical and make-believe. I feel like we've been doing that a lot on this particular why the hell not? Of, of listener mail. The it's, land of actual reality kind of sucks. Makes me feel like Sir Nigel is here, like there was a theme for this and we didn't <laughs> know about it. Uh, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and saw the big homie Luke Thomas bantering with some folks who seem to have proposed that Bellator's next freak show step would be to add the gi in some MMA fights. Now, the jujitsu enthusiast in me thought, you know what, that might be kind of cool. I also think it could lead to Damian Maya being the champion of the world. Uh, so... As for you guys, hashtag would watch. I guess I hashtag would watch out of curiosity to see how it would go. Yeah. And I, especially applicable to the Hoist Gracie Ken Shamrock fight that we, that we, uh, we think that we have coming up. Man, if Hoist Gracie comes out there in a gi and Ken Shamrock comes out there in wrestling shoes and a pair of like, uh, red underpants, just red underoos, yeah. basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then hashtag would watch. Um, I think that it would be interesting, at least short term, but I also think that 
we, regardless of what we might think, would not actually enjoy it. I think just in what you see in jujitsu competitions and stuff is the gi can really slow things down, especially for people who know how to use it. Uh, I think for a spectator perspective, like no gi is just usually more exciting to watch uh, grappling-wise, so I don't know why we think that adding the gi to MMA would make it more fun. It would just be a kind of a novelty value thing, which, you know, as we've seen from Bellator, they're not opposed to novelty value. No. No, I think you're right. I think that it would be, like, aesthetically interesting and probably, from an action point of view, very, very disinteresting. Not not as interesting as we might think. Though, not a jujitsu guy myself, what, uh, maybe this is a question you can answer. If one guy is wearing the gi and the other guy's not wearing the gi, like, how does that, how does that affect things? Because then you basically got a half and half match, right? Yeah, well, that's like the first Ken Shamrock, Hoist Grace, who won't wear it. And that one. Right. But I mean, I, I think admittedly in that one, we weren't as hip to what the gi could yeah. do as we are now. And that's the thing is that it back then, or when you're fighting somebody who doesn't really know that much about Gracie Jiu Jitsu, uh, you can use the gi to your advantage, even if you're the only one wearing it. Uh, but I would think not a whole lot of good reasons to go in there with you wearing the gi if you're the Jiu Jitsu guy. Uh, against somebody else who is not going to wear it. I mean, you want to be able to force the other guy to wear the gi if you're the jiu-jitsu guy. Which would be interesting. Yeah. Another contract stipulation that we could make. Or maybe we do like a like a little wheel of attire where you go before the fight backstage. We have a camera like back wheel there. Wheel of death, are we you, talking? You like you could spin, spin the wheel? Yeah, you spin it and it comes up and it's like, oh, you got to wear the gi. Or like, oh, like... Ken Shamrock. Your opponent can attack you at any time during fight week. How about that for the for the grid of death? Oh, now we're getting away from attire. I was thinking just that this would decide what you had to wear going out there. Evening gown. Oh, damn it, I got evening gown. <laughs> no, like, uh, uh, Hoist Gracie could run in in the gi and, and attack Ken Shamrock while he was at the pool. <laughs> well, he'd probably be wearing the same attire, so might be just like the fight anyway. Uh, anything you wanted to add about that? That's our last listener mail. Question for the week. Maybe. Does the jujitsu nerd in you kind of want to see it? No. Not really? Even? No. no. Well, if you don't want to watch it and you're the jujitsu nerd of the co-main event podcast, then I'm against it. If not even you are interested. I mean, I think maybe I know enough about what actual gi competition looks like to be like, all right, that would probably just slow things down and make it a, just a, I think I predict a lot more referee stand-ups and breaks uh, if you're letting both guys use the gi. Also, a lot more of guys being grabbed by the collar and by, like, the seat of their pants and pitched out of the cage, right? <laughs> sure. That's what I would expect. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the Co-Main Event podcast in future weeks, you know how to do that. You go to our website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says, Ben, what does it say? Email the podcast. It says email the podcast. I was just checking to make sure you were still with us. Email the podcast. Email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on the days when we're not recording the podcast because we all know some news will break on Tuesday morning like it always does. Uh, it's easy to sign up for. It's short. It's humorous. We think you'll like it. If you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with... Round number one. Well, Ben, fingers crossed, 
knock on wood, this Saturday night at UFC 194, Jose Aldo da Silva Oliveira Jr. Okay. And Conor Anthony McGregor. Kind of boring in, in comparison. Comparably, yes. We think are finally going to get in the cage and do the damn thing. What's your level of hype between 1 and 10? 10 being the most hype and and 0 being the least. I'm going to say right now 8.5. Pacing yourself. Well, it's still pretty high. Yeah. Uh, so like a solid B. Yes. Well, okay, maybe B plus. B plus. I'd um, say B plus for myself, A minus. Pretty, pretty hype. Yeah, I think I'll probably be very, very hyped by fight night. I think this, for one thing... Like I wrote in a column this past weekend, it does feel like now we're out of the danger zone. We can start talking and thinking about this thing as if it is really going to goddamn happen, which right there, that's pretty exciting and also kind of telling about the way we've come to think about MMA and particularly Jose Aldo bouts. Uh, oh, everybody has to make weight and not have anything terrible happen to them and not have like a bunch of kidney stones just fall out of them at the last minute, stuff like that. So we're not completely out of the woods yet, but I think that the more I start thinking about this fight now that I can accept it as a reality, the more I see a lot of interesting ways it can go, a lot of interesting ways that it can play out in the cage, and then one way or another, we're going to come out of there, and it's going to feel like we really know something that we didn't know before. Yeah, it is. It's, this, it's kind of a show-and-prove time for Conor McGregor. Uh, he comes out at UFC 189 in July when he was supposed to fight Jose Aldo, but Aldo pulled out with a rib injury and wins the uh, UFC interim featherweight championship uh, over Chad Mendez with a second round TKO. Uh, if we're going to put an asterisk by it at all, it's that Chad Mendez came in on very short, no short notice, just a couple of weeks to train. Uh, but that amounted to Conor McGregor's first UFC win over a guy who at the time we consider to be a really, really top-flight featherweight. Uh, I think you could argue Max Holloway is, is starting to verge on that territory now, but when they fought back in 2013, uh, Max Holloway had not completely made himself known to us at that time. Uh, so this is a fight where we get to find out if one of the UFC's biggest uh, cash cows at this point, Conor McGregor, can back up the copious talk that he has been uh, spewing around since the day that he arrived, and... Uh, it's also one of those where uh, almost anything could happen. Yeah. Because I think that the way to bet is Jose Aldo wins, but the only reason I say that is because we have no idea yet really how good Conor McGregor can be. And because, uh, at least the last time I checked, Jose Aldo a slight underdog. So Still crazy. Yeah. I still think that's crazy. Although I guess if I was going to say some stuff in favor of Conor McGregor, it's that uh, you know, Conor McGregor hasn't even been a full-time fighter for that long. His The bulk of his body of work from his career was amassed while he was still, you know, working other jobs and only training uh, in his spare time. And, and his last few fights since he's been in the UFC and he's and he's making that, that money, nine figures or whatever he said his next contract negotiation was going to be for, he's had a chance to, to really, you know, focus solely on his fighting. And he's the, I think we've seen up to this point, the caliber of athlete who's just going to get better and better every time we see him. And Jose Aldo uh, has been on ice for an awful long time. He has not fought since he beat Chad Mendez at UFC 179 on October 25th, 2014. So if I would say that anything is in Conor McGregor's favor here, it's that maybe the perception that he just keeps getting better and better and that Jose Aldo is going to have to come in uh, maybe with some rust to shake off. I don't know. Well, yeah, and, you know, there's plenty of reasons to think that Conor McGregor could win. His 
his use of distance uh, and and you know the space and the timing in there is really great and probably only getting better. The holes that we saw against Chad Mendes were more in the wrestling department, which is not usually something Jose Aldo looks to exploit, even if he could against somebody. But who knows? Uh, he's also a big guy. He hits hard, especially a big guy for that division. So you know that always plays in your favor too. Uh, you know, there's plenty of of good reasons to think that. Uh, Jose Aldo could have his handful, even without the the rust issue. I mean, of course, you say that now, wait until next Monday, and I'm sure that there will be, everybody will want to tell you how they came in here with bubonic plague and, you know, missing both kneecaps and all, all kinds of other shit. But uh, I think right now, if, if you're assuming both guys are healthy, I still pick Aldo, but not by a whole lot. It would be tough for any outcome really to surprise me here. And I think that when we're talking about, as far as, you know, Conor McGregor, proving the, the trash he's been talking for what feels like 10 years now. It's also a thing where if Jose Aldo goes out there and he beats Conor McGregor and beats him decisively, shuts him up and puts him back in his place, then everybody, I think, will kind of snap back to reality and go, oh, that's right, Jose Aldo, the greatest featherweight uh, we've ever seen in MMA, uh, one of the greatest fighters currently competing in MMA, what the hell were we thinking? Uh, I think that kind of retroactive logic will kind of come into play too. I also, though, I feel like we're getting to that point when the, if you ask me what I'm more excited about seeing the actual fight play out or just being done with the talk about it, I feel like still it's really tight 50-50 race there for me. Yeah, you're reaching a tipping point with the, with the pre-fight hype. Yeah. I, I mean, which I mean, when you gotta do it all twice, I can understand how someone would, would get to that point. Which makes you wonder. The rigmarole we went through the first time. Makes you wonder if we have to end up doing a rematch. Oh, Jesus Christ. I would be astounded. Let me just say, pre-fight prediction, I would be astounded if these guys don't end up doing it a third time at some point. Because we've seen how the promotable, bankable guy who talks a lot manages to just keep stumbling into these fights no matter what happens. Uh, and clearly Conor McGregor, as we talked about last week, has set himself up for a number of money fights in uh, at featherweight, at lightweight, wherever he wants to go. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if we don't see him fight for the featherweight title again, even if he loses on Saturday against Jose Aldo. I keep coming back to the Conor McGregor fighting stance, uh, which is what we talked about before they were supposed to fight the first time. I keep thinking about it because... He has that wide stance, which he uses to his advantage a lot. It allows him to cover a lot of distance in the cage. Um, it allows him to cut nice angles and fire off his, his left-handed punches uh, with, with a lot of power. I just don't see how that front leg doesn't get obliterated by Jose Aldo's uh, leg kicks, which we've seen him work over and over again in the octagon with great success. And I keep thinking back to Conor McGregor getting punched in the face by Chad Mendez. And I keep thinking, Hard, pretty if you easily. get punched in the face by like that by Jose Aldo, you you will get knocked out. That's just that's the way I envision it in my mind. I could be completely wrong, but those are the things that when I think about Conor McGregor's chances against Jose Aldo, those are the things I don't like. Uh, I don't know if you heard his comments last week. Conor McGregor saying, "Maybe I want them to kick that leg." Have you ever thought of that? Oh. Okay, well, now I'm rethinking my whole strategy. Okay, well, if you're in that, Conor McGregor's... he's going to be in two different places at once, I read. Which, <laughs> if he does that, he will win. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in Conor McGregor's camp, you must have come up with some plan for Jose Aldo's leg kicks, right? You, you think. You, you think so, yeah. Well, you're not... Like, you know, he has uh, good people in his corner. He has good people he's working with. They're not just going to send him in there by being like, hey, don't, don't even worry about it, man. It's not going to matter. You're going to knock Jose Aldo out before he has a chance to... 
kick your leg to shred. So we're not even going to spend any of this copious time we have to work with figuring out a plan for how to deal with that. Sure. I would also assume that Chad Mendez and Ricardo Lombas and Chan Sung Jung and Frankie Edgar probably took those same precautions uh, and and probably woke up the next day not not that excited about walking around. <laughs> okay. Fair point. What do you make? Have you heard this that one of the things Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor are fighting for, in addition to money and the UFC featherweight title, the real one, uh, is to see who is going to be on the cover of the EA Sports UFC game along with Ronda Rousey. Uh, as old Dirty Bastard once said, nothing. <laughs> I make nothing of that. So you're telling me, or at least they're telling me, that if Jose Aldo wins, it's going to be Ronda Rousey and Jose Aldo. Number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. I don't know if you got uh, Dana White on uh, first take this past week. Uh, as someone noted in our, uh, I think it was in the, the Breakfast of Champions listener mail rant of the week this week, uh, proclaiming Jose Aldo the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Well, I guess that's Until how we maybe know maybe next week when that, it's got to be somebody else. That's how we know the fight is coming up. Uh I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if what ends up happening is uh, Jose Aldo wins and we learn, oh, wait, no, we already had this cover printed up weeks ago, and so it's just going to be Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, two people coming off losses on the cover of the well, video. Well, yeah, game. I mean, we I were re- just bullshitting. One of the copious Reebok gaffes from the last week was that they had already published on their website some some marketing copy saying that Conor McGregor had defeated Jose Aldo for the featherweight title, which... Uh, was one of the lower profile mistakes that they've made of the, of the last, you know, several months of this deal. But I would argue the most insidious, like the rest, you can kind of be like, oh man, I don't know. We're just dumb. We thought Anderson Aldo was a guy. We thought Ryan Bader was the heavyweight champion. If you, if you are already going ahead to print up, uh, Conor McGregor has defeated Jose Aldo copy, kind of tipping your hand a little bit. Well, man. but as far as the UFC, Let's not act like the hand hasn't done been tipped. Right. Okay. It's the same, the same way it was with Rousey. We know it's like that with Conor McGregor. We know that Jose Aldo is not necessarily anybody's favorite over there at Zufa headquarters. Uh, what with pulling out of fights, kind of speaking his mind in, uh, blunt terms, uh, from time to time. Although then, of course, as soon as he catches any heat whatsoever for it, saying he was misquoted, uh, which seems to be a favorite of a lot of Brazilian fighters, but, it's obvious that if you went in there and you sat down in a in a closed door meeting with Dana White and Lorenzo Fertitta and said, "All right, I can uh, wave a magic wand here and make this one turn out however you want it. What do you want?" They're not going to say Jose Aldo via split decision. Like that's not going to be what they want out of this. We all know that, and I think that also, uh, in some instances, has to affect kind of how you view the fight. Yeah, it's actually one of the things that makes me think conor mcgregor probably actually is legit that he's the real deal because you know i don't know that they would send him out there for this one if they didn't if they didn't think he had a real good chance to win i don't know if they would have put the interim featherweight title on him and you know he's a guy that like we've talked about in the past they've handled differently than almost anyone else in in the the ufc's history they've kind of you know built him up into more of a boxing style promotion allowing him to fight guys that were going to make him look good uh and I don't think they would have done that unless they believed that he was, you know, the real deal. I just don't think that they would have put that kind of promotional might behind him uh, unless they had it on really good authority that he he had a chance to be all of the things that he said he could be. But maybe I'm just putting too much stock in the in the closed door meetings. Yeah, well, I mean, I also do think that uh, we can say that stuff like, oh, they, they kept him away from wrestlers. They put him against people who uh, were going to make him look good. And there's some of that. I mean, 
especially his win over Dennis Seaver. We all know what that was about. Uh, the, the Diego Brandau one, I mean, he was a late replacement for Cole Miller, I believe, which I think would have been a, a more interesting fight. But the other ones, like Chad Mendez, even on short notice, uh, Dustin Poirier, and Max Holloway, especially given how Max Holloway has looked recently, I think you look back now and it does not seem as much like propping him up, trying to get him to, to this point. Sure, you can make the argument that they were not in a hurry to throw him up against anybody who knew their way around a double leg. But uh, I think that maybe experience has taught the, the UFC to some point that you can only do that shit for so long. People will lose interest in it or you'll just wind up, you know, throwing them up against somebody he's supposed to beat and it'll blow up in your face anyway. So I, I don't I After the Chad Mendez one, that was the one where I thought you can't really say that too much anymore. You got to give him his props. All right. Well, let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then Ben will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Chad, I don't know if you saw uh, Dana White's appearance on TSN, Michael Landsberg. I did. I'm about to talk about it. Well, so I, I hope we don't talk about the same thing. I think we're both about to talk about it. And I'm not even going to talk about the stuff he said in reference to being asked about the stuff John Jones had said to Ariel Helwani. He was asked a very oddly worded question about whether the UFC knew that Vitor Belfort was going to fail a drug test, which that's not the question. Uh, but let's let's even forget that. I'll say instead, let's pay attention to when, first of all, he's uh, promoting his own show, Dana White Looking for a Fight, uh, and says that he has been using that show for one specific purpose lately. You know what that purpose is, Chad? What is it, Ben? He says, quote, that he is actually out there looking for opponents for CM Punk right now on this show. Cool. Are you fucking kidding me? It tells me everything I need to know when the way you phrase it is you're out there looking for opponents for CM Punk. That's not saying I'm out there looking for, you know, a really good competitive fight to test CM Punk and find out what he's made of. That's saying I'm looking for a guy who's just barely credible, but who stands no chance of beating up CM Punk and sending him home hurt. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? We all know exactly what you said. You didn't even really, didn't even really try to dance around it as much as I'd expect. All right, Ben. Well, here's something else Dana White said to Landsberg this past week on the topic of a different fighter, fellow you might have heard of by the name of George St. Pierre. He said, listen, I like George St. Pierre. I respect him. He was never anything but class when he fought for us. He was an absolute class act. He took Canada to a whole other level with the sport and everything else. But he can talk about why he isn't here, why he isn't doing this, and maybe he'll take six weeks. George St. Pierre lost the urge to fight, and that's the reality. He lost the urge to fight, and it happens. There's nothing wrong with that. It's nothing negative. It wasn't because of anything that happened with me or Lorenzo or anything with the sport. He lost the urge to fight, period. End of story. To which I say, are you fucking kidding me? George St. Pierre maybe lost the urge to fight uh, until he makes one phone call to tell you that he is ready to fight again, at which point you will think about his pay-per-view buy rates and you will claim George St. Pierre is back in all caps. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Also, it's nothing that, that Dana White or Lorenzo did or no, anything I, like that. I, couldn't, I don't recall anything that happened between that trio that could no. have scared away the, one of the greatest fighters of all time. It's nobody's fault, says the person whose fault it is. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas.
Well, Chad, it's not just featherweights going out there fighting over a big hunk of leather and metal. A couple good-looking American dudes in the middleweight division, Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold, they're going to do the damn thing for the UFC 185-pound strap. And we might be overlooking it in our rush to talk about how we're finally going to get an end to the yelling times between the Irish brogue and the angry Portuguese. But this... This has the makings of a spectacular, technical, violent fight. Chris Weidman, Lou Rockhold, and yet feels like we're not really talking about that one so much. Yeah, as the as the two hosts of the co-main event podcast, I feel like in this UFC 194 has the co-main event to beat all co-main events. Uh, Chris Weidman against Luke Rockhold is going to be a dandy and... You know, I don't know that it's that it's uh, proper to say that they that that they're getting the short end of the stick here because they're going to be uh, the co-main event on what could turn out to be the biggest selling pay-per-view of the year, certainly one of them. Uh, and so, a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on this fight, and I think that this is one that hardcore fans are really excited about. You do feel a little bit bad for them though if you see the official poster that has Conor McGregor. And Jose Aldo on the top, and Conor McGregor has his has his arms spread like he's the serial killer in a Thomas Harris novel. And uh, tucked down in the bottom right-hand corner, you got Weidman versus Rockhold. Tiny little stock UFC publicity photos down there next to the date. And, uh, yeah, they kind of got short shrift on that one. Yeah. Not even, they didn't even do that uh, poster where you have like all four guys. Just yeah, we have two guys really close up and then in the background you got the other guys like yeah. like they're ghosts. Like you're, they're your ancestors watching over you and, and hoping that you don't shame them. Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're right down there on the bottom as if, oh, by the way, Weidman and Rockhold are also going to fight. And this isn't an oh, by the way fight. Like I think you could make the case that while this – middleweight title fight isn't going to get the publicity of like a Chael Sonnen, Anderson Silva, or, uh, you know, a high profile fight like that. This might be the two best athletes who've ever fought each other for the middleweight title. Like this is a very evenly matched fight between two guys who I think you would describe as like next generation talents, right? Yeah. Well, at least that's what we've seen from them lately, uh, against other middleweights out there. And I think the, in trying to pick this one and decide exactly what kind of fight it's going to be, I really had a hard time trying to – I can imagine some different ways that this one plays out. I could even imagine it as being one of those unfortunate instances where you get two awesome, very technically sound fighters and they, in a lot of ways, cancel each other out. And it's not that spectacular fight. Hopefully, we'll we'll get a little more action than that out of it. And with Chris Weidman's style particularly, I think that we probably will. Uh, but – it does seem like one of those where it kind of proves that as MMA fans, we really care more about who is willing to say mean things in a, a fun, creative way to each other a little more than we care about who are really technical, proficient, accomplished fighters, which is kind of unfortunate for us. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's always been the way of the of the fight game. It's always been a, a weird hybrid between sports and entertainment. And clearly the entertainment side of things can be what drives pay-per-view draws, and that's what's going to bring in uh, the casual fan. But I would say I'm just as excited about Luke Rockhold, Chris Weidman, as I am for Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor. Uh, and not just because the war of words will get over, but I, I mean, like, this is a fight 
Luke Rockhold and Chris Weidman is a fight where I can legitimately say, in all honesty, I have no fucking clue what's going to happen. And that's the kind of fight that I like. Uh, and, you know, Chris Weidman has been so good. He's undefeated at 13-0. and We know the style that he brings. He presses forward. He's going to be aggressive. And yet Luke Rockhold is just so goddamn big and fleet of foot and mobile, moves around the cage, brings a diverse style of striking, uh, and clearly has the, the techniques to finish people. Uh, he's finished his last, what, four in a row. Uh, since getting knocked out by the enhanced version of Vitor Belfort back in May of 2013. He's, he's finished four fights in a row in the first or second round. So a lot of impressive stuff there, including Lyoto Machida, uh, who gave Weidman a tough fight in, in a, a recent title defense. Here's a, Ben, a trivia question for you. Aside from Vitor Belfort, who is the other guy to beat Luke Rockhold? Do you have that? You probably have it on your screen right now, but if you don't. I, I don't, but. I'll just tell you. It's Tony Rubelkava. Oh yeah, the mighty Tony Rubalcava. Tony Rubalcava. Way back at uh, Melee on the Mountain. Yeah, the the Mad Dog. Mad Dog Tony T- Rubalcava. First yeah. round TKO. Uh huh. No. Via punches. I remember that one. One of the great performances of all time. Yeah, it was big night in Fryant, California. <laughs> the Mad Dog Tony Rubalcava. Uh, you know, one of the things that I thought about when trying to figure out, like you said, I I also feel like I have no fucking idea how this one is going to go, but I felt like. When I had to sit down and make a pick for our MMA Junkie staff picks, I went with Weidman based mainly on, like you mentioned, uh, Rockhold's ability to move around, use the distance, use his kicks, uh, fight at a, a range that's more comfortable for him. And I feel like he's probably going to have a hard time doing that against Chris Weidman, who is a really good cage cutter, a, a really guy, a really good uh, fighter at getting the angles where he wants it, backing you down, uh, and getting you right where he wants before he goes on the attack. Like, not impatient about that at all, like we saw in his fight with Leo de Machida. Uh, and I also think that if your strategy is to use kicks to maintain distance against a guy like Chris Weidman, then you also have to worry about getting taken down. And I think when uh, if that guy gets you down and he gets on top of you, he can really put a hurting on you, especially over a five-round fight. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that, that has made Weidman what I would consider to be a next-generation talent is that he comes in with that uh, wrestling base, the grappling base that we've seen from a lot of guys before. But the thing that really separates Weidman from a guy like, from, from a guy like Chael Sonnen would be, you know, uh, Sonnen gets you down and you're probably in for a long night. You know, ask, ask Anderson Silva. He's going to try to grind you out via decision. Uh, Chris Weidman has the skills to finish you either with strikes or with, uh, submissions as we've seen from him in the past. Uh, and, you know, being the grappler historically means that the big advantage that you have is, is that you get to decide where the fight is contested. I think the real question for me here is whether or not Weidman is going to be able to deal with the size and strength and mobility of, of Luke Rockhold. Uh, can he hold him up against the cage if that's what he wants to do? Can he take him down and keep him down? Uh, or is Luke Rockhold going to be athletic enough to get back up if he gets taken down? Because even though Weidman has been successful on his feet and is a great pressure fighter and, and, and fights at a, a pace that a lot of guys can't keep up with, I don't think he's going to want to exchange strikes with Luke Rockhold for five rounds. Yeah, probably not. Although, you know what? I was thinking about this one and picturing myself... I'm sure you'll probably end up showing Wait, up at my house. To picturing watch this. yourself as Luke Rockhold. Well, like, I always picture myself as Luke Rockhold, an athletic surfer. Uh, that's just how I describe myself. Um, okay, Cupid. On my online dating page. profiles, yeah. Um, I, I was picturing how this is probably going to go down on Saturday night. Where I'll be at my house, and you'll show up unannounced 
um, won't even bother to bring any snacks and you'll just plant yourself on my couch and watch. And then I was thinking, if there's ever a fight card where I w- wish that I could order it online and have the options that the, is afforded to you when you order it online, it's this one just for this fight, just so I can switch to Chris Weidman's corner and listen to me some Ray Longo and some Matt Sarah because goddamn, that's one where you could charge me in like a $5 extra on this pay-per-view <laughs> where after it's over, I get to go back and watch that one with the sound from Weidman's corner. Yeah, I'll pay that. I'll- well, and you would also like, if you got tired of that, you could listen to crazy Bob Cook and Javier Mendez in, in Luke Rockhold's corner, who are two guys that are going to be no slouches from a eavesdropping on a corner perspective. <laughs> if I were in charge of the UFC internet broadcast where I was supposed to give people some, some various options. I would also mic up Chris Weidman's dad because you know he's going to be there. He'll be front row and he's the kind of dad that's going to come in the cage after Chris Weidman wins a fight and be like, that's my boy. <laughs> so I can only imagine what's going on at ringside when, uh, when Weidman is fighting and his dad is there. That's, that's probably the audio I would go with. And then maybe we could also, uh, mic up Gunnar Nelson's dad for those people who want to just hear. Like the calm sounds of nothing. It would be a just tranquil bird song is probably what you would hear <laughs> if you were able to tap into what Gunnar Nelson, what was going on inside Gunnar Nelson's dad's mind. Just tranquil bird song. I could go for a tranquil bird song. You know, honestly, there's been nights where I'm listening to, to Goldberg where, man, I'll, I'll pay extra for a tranquil bird song. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, let's hit the rewind button a little bit, approximately 24 hours before we get into UFC 194. Uh, on Friday night, we'll be watching the Ultimate Fighter Season 22 live finale. Uh, the season where I know you watched every minute of Uriah Faber and Conor McGregor as opposing coaches, uh, on the reality show. Unfortunately, those two guys aren't gonna fight, not exactly, not quite yet. So what we get in the main event of this, of this fight card, uh, a very relevant featherweight contender fight between Frankie Edgar and Chad Mendez. This thing to me just screams crackerjack. These two guys are going to go out there and I would assume have a war, uh, probably win fight of the night. Any, and obviously there's, there's, uh, implications here for the, for the following night. Aldo McGregor, the, you might get a number one contender out of here. Uh, but do you see this fight getting kind of lost in the shuffle? And like we talked about, 60 fights going off. This is one we should all be looking forward to. 60 fighters. Oh, 60 over, fighters. A little over 60 fighters. So my, my math tells me 30 fights. Yeah, there uh, you go. Is this one that is kind of going to get forgotten by the next night when we finally get the end of this big blood feud between Aldo and McGregor? You know, I think you could say that about almost any fight that we're going to see over this three days. You could say it probably about every fight except for the last two. Uh, that there's a threat that they will get overshadowed. And a lot of that is going to depend on how those fights go, how memorable they are for one reason or another, and then how how memorable the ones that come after them are with their ability to knock them out of the spotlight. I think that we all kind of looked at this one when it was announced as a backup, right? Like you got Frankie Edgar and Chad Mendez, 
two top featherweights so that if something happens to one of the featherweights in your big title fight for the pay-per-view, which we all knew was very possible, you got somebody who can step in there and you don't have to completely panic, which was a good idea, I think. As long as you were going to do this three days of fights anyway, you might as well put something on there that you can use to, to plug a hole should one arise. Uh, and then wouldn't you know it that that's the one time that such a problem does not arise is when you actually have a plan in place to take care of it. Uh, but I think that we're also looking at this one as let's see who could be next in line. It's great timing. Uh, they can really kind of stamp their ticket for it and then maybe show up the next night with a little bit of a little bit of a shiner or something, just just a cool bruise around the eye to sit front row and watch Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo do it while they, without saying a word, manage to call next. But I think that this is one of those situations, The like you mentioned with Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo, the very good uh, possibility that they'll end up fighting again, depending on what happens. If there's a situation for a guy like Frank Yedger to keep on getting screwed and keep on getting left out of the title picture, despite making a very strong case for being included in it, this seems like the exact kind of situation where it happens again, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think they'll let the winner of this fight into the cage on Saturday night at UFC 194. Like, this isn't going to be a done deal that the, that this is going to be the number one contender for the featherweight title. At least not the the winner of Edgar versus uh, Mendez isn't going to be assured to fight the winner of Conor McGregor, Jose Aldo, because like you said, a rematch makes sense. The UFC is already eyeing a stadium show in Ireland uh, early next year where you could see those two guys do it again, brother. Uh, and both Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor have made noise about going up to lightweight. And so I feel like the winner or the loser could do that. They both could do that. Uh, and so you're right. I think that the winner of the Edgar Mendez fight could end up getting passed over. I'll tell you what is my doomsday scenario for the featherweight division at large. Conor McGregor beats Jose Aldo. Okay. Frankie Edgar beats Conor McGregor. Jose Aldo beats Frankie Edgar. No, you mean, you mean Frankie Edgar beats Chad Mendez. Well, he, well, yeah, but I'm talking about for the title. Okay. Let's, let's pretend Edgar's going off as a slight favorite here. Let's say he wins and becomes the number one contender for the featherweight title. Then you get into this round robin scenario that I just described. Conor McGregor beats Jose Aldo. Frankie Edgar beats Conor McGregor. Jose Aldo beats Frankie Edgar. Wow. We, we are back where we started, my friend. We, we got except a hot all, potato situation going on at 145 pounds. Back where we started, except we're all a little older. Yes. A little wiser. Uh-huh. Frankie Edgar is having a harder time getting up out of the recliner with his newspaper <laughs> and his bifocals. Well, I'm, I'm in just for the moment after Conor McGregor beats Jose Aldo, and then they do let Frankie Edgar in the, in the cage. Conor McGregor turns around wearing his champion fight kit and his belt, turns around sees Frankie Edgar with the aforementioned cool but not deformed shiner uh, wearing, a, wearing a dark suit like a young Michael Corleone, just calmly entering the cage, looking over there and, and cracking his knuckles, just not saying a damn word. Yeah, that's good TV right there. Yeah, well, I mean, I think no matter what happens in the UFC 194 main event, you're going to have a Conor McGregor feeding frenzy on your hands because there's a bunch of guys that are going to want to get a piece of him. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, smart businessman Uriah Faber fights on the as the co-prelim or the featured prelim on Fox Sports 1 at UFC 194. Uh, <coughs> he's going, excuse me, he's going off as you know a 7 to 1 favorite in some places over Frankie Signs at Bantamweight. I would say if you give Uriah Faber any mic time tomorrow night, 
I would anticipate a call out of either Conor McGregor and or TJ Dillashaw. We know Frankie Edgar's going to want a piece. We know Chad Mendez will want a piece if either of those guys wins. Oh, yeah, and you look a week down the road, you got Rafael Dos Anjos against Donald Cerrone for the title. Uh, and those guys have already been jawing at each other. So going to be no shortage of potential future opponents for Conor McGregor, no matter what happens. Uh, do you think this one goes off according to chalk? Does Frankie Edgar get the better of Chad Mendez here? Because if you get a Jose Aldo victory, right, the next night, he's already beat Frankie Edgar. He's already beat uh, Chad Mendez twice. So uh, I don't know which is the better option there, but I, I would assume it's Edgar. Well, let's not forget about uh... – Max Holloway also in action on, uh, at USC 194. So there are other options there at Featherweight if you end up in a situation where you don't you just don't want to see Jose Aldo keep beating up the same people over and over again. Uh, again, when forced to pick on this one, I didn't feel super comfortable either way, but I decided to go with Frankie Edgar just because I feel like uh, with his speed, his quickness, uh, it'll be hard for Chad Mendez to really get a hold of him long enough to hurt him. And yet at the same time, I can't rule out the possibility that Chad Mendez just hits him with one big shot, turns his world upside down. That could totally happen. Uh, but I think that, uh, as far as a ways, finding ways to win without hoping on just landing one big punch, you gotta like Frankie Edgar's chances there. Although, I, I do admit that a part of me is always waiting for the night where Frankie Edgar shows up suddenly having aged 10 years. Yeah, or the night that he just gets blasted in the face and then does not pull a, a miraculous comeback right. after that happens. Uh, because if there's one thing we know about Frankie Edgar, God love him, the guy will get punched in the face. That is one thing that he will absolutely do. Uh, probably just to collect that shiner you were talking about. This shapes up as a must-win, though, for Chad Mendez, right? Like, he comes in one and two in his last three fights. His, his losses are that... uh Short notice one to Conor McGregor at UFC 189 and then Jose Aldo in a heck of a fight at UFC 179 uh, in October of last year. But I got to think uh, if you're 30 years old and you're Chad Mendez and you lose to Frankie Edgar and now suddenly you're one and three, even though even though all of your losses are to top flight competition at featherweight, uh, that's a that's a place where you don't want to be. And maybe if for no other reason, like we've talked about on the show before, uh, two and two sounds a lot better than one and three. Yeah, uh, especially in this situation, you do want to, uh, and I think if you're Chad Mendez and you do come out there and you beat Frank Yedger, that's when you can immediately start talking some trash about how if you had a full training camp to prepare for Conor McGregor, you would have mopped the floor with him. And yeah. you can, you're going to find a few takers for that argument, I think, if you're Chad Mendez. Uh, or, you know, you just talk about how that weak ass country song, live country song, totally messed with your head when you were walking out to the cage and you couldn't get focused after that. I'd be, I'd buy that one equally. Uh, but I think that it's a situation where Frankie Edgar seems like the guy who has been screwed over a lot in this division already. Like the guy who has earned it over and over again. And then nobody really wants to even talk about him. Whereas, uh, Chad Mendes seems like one of those guys where after we saw that last fight with Chad Mendes and Jose Aldo, weren't we all saying like, well, seems inevitable that we're going to end up doing that one again. So if you do end up in a situation where Jose Aldo wins and Chad Mendes wins, then I think maybe the UFC will be like, hey, people were not opposed to watching that fight again the last time we did it. If we have to do Jose Aldo reruns, that's not a bad one to have to do. Now that I think about it, now that we've mentioned it, perhaps a subplot of this weekend will be who has the best post-fight Conor McGregor call out since there's going to be a boatload of guys out there probably looking to get themselves a chunk. Yeah. Well, and that's not even the count the guys who are going to jump on Twitter 
And, oh, yeah. No, I'm talking about McGregor. live on via camera while Joe Rogan or somebody or, or John Anik is in the cage with the mic in your face. Maybe we sh- they should just start off those. If you're interviewing anybody from bantamweight to lightweight, the interview should start with, do you have anything you'd like to say to Conor McGregor right now? Yeah, it'll be like Wheel of Fortune where it got to the point where they just spotted people, those letters that everybody <laughs> always chose at the end. Anyway, that's going to do it for uh, what round? The hell round are we doing? Is this round three? Jesus Christ. I'm, it's already falling apart. I'm telling you. We're going to the championship rounds right now. And we I should be done like, right now. We I, should be going home. You and me both, brother. I already feel like I'm fading. We'll be right back with round number four. It's less likely than James Tony taking someone down. More improbable than the UFC coming back to your town. But Chad, Chad and Ben are the co Mixed Martial Arts Podcast! Well, Chad, here's what I know you're really excited for. Forget UFC 194 on Saturday. Forget this tough finale with Chad Mendez and Frankie Edgar on Friday. Forgotten. <laughs> wow, that was easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> All right. No, well, tell me. I'm dying to know. What am I excited for? You're excited to jump on the UFC Fight Pass for an all-internet streaming event featuring the Wonder Twins, Paige Van Zant and Sage Northcut, both on the card. Paige and Sage! Is this a Fight Pass thing? That's a this, Fight Pass this, thing. This one's not on FS1? No, this is well, all all Fight Pass. Hello Thursday. Just as blonde as they want to be. Couple, couple white bread, corny ass mofos, Paige Van Zant and Sort Sage Northcut going out there looking to be the, the future of the UFC with their crest smiles, uh, and their family friendly attitudes. Man, my Thursday night just busted wide open. Yeah, it did. Like I got nothing but time on my hands now. I thought I was going to have to watch this thing. <laughs> I find out it's on the fightpass.com. Cha-ching. Maybe I'll go out and maybe I'll take my wife on a date. You never know. You will not. Maybe I'll cut the grass. (laughs) Maybe I'll come up with a new hobby. I'll be very interested to hear what your hobby is come Friday morning. Now, Ben, if you were Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zandt, Sage Northcutt, 19 years old, by the way, Uh, Paige Van Zandt, not much older, 21 years old, Uh, how awkward would it be to know that there is an internet meme basically about you and this other person that you are essentially co-workers with that it's sort of like that you will either fall in love or become versions of the same person and or be brother and sister or be like forced into some kind of science fiction breeding program in order to come up with uh to populate the ufc with your offspring it's like the internet is inviting them to play five minutes in heaven or whatever that game is called (laughs) seven minutes seven minutes in heaven maybe where you grew up they just didn't have uh couldn't handle that extra two minutes (laughs) So, I mean, that'd be pretty weird, right? For a teen. For a p- two, two children, essentially. There's a lot of shit going on that would be weird for a teen. You don't think that's, that's the weirdest thing? I guess if you're Sage Northcutt and you're 19 years old and you're already in the UFC and kind of famous, at least by fighter standards, that alone would be a wild ride. Have you been watching these UFC embedded videos? Oh, hell no. I feel like you need to watch some of the ones with Sage Northcutt in it because I, I kind of, I tried to come to this with an open mind. And something about Sage Northcutt, I think we've been asked this before in the past, where I'm just like, I'm watching this going, why do I hate this guy? Why do I 
you know, and I don't hate him. He seems like a nice dude and everything. Like, I, I don't actually hold any ill will toward him. But when you're watching it and you just the reptilian brain is working and some part of you is going like, I hope something bad happens to this guy. And then you kind of have to shake out of it and be like, no, that's that's completely irrational. But there's something about him that I think is going to provoke that reaction in a whole lot of people during his time in the UFC. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that what you just said brings up a valid line of questioning about Sage Northcutt, and and that is borne out by the feelings that you're having when you watch Embedded and the fact that I can't bring myself to click on Embedded when I know that it's going to be about Sage Northcutt because I have a really low uh, embarrassment factor as it pertains to Internet videos. I have a really hard time watching Internet videos where I feel embarrassed for the person that is on them uh and that's kind of how i feel like i don't want to watch sage northcut rowing around at 17 years old 19 years old whatever he is because i feel like it will trigger my weird empathy like uh gag reflex <laughs> and you're you're afraid you'll feel too much empathy if you watch this video <laughs> that is, that's always, what you're saying that's always the trouble for me too much empathy uh but it brings up the valid question don't you think and i did an are you fucking kidding me about this after sage northcutt's first ufc fight who is this guy for like who who is the like the ufc is pitching this guy ostensibly to its audience are they pitching him to young christians who also like the ufc or are they pitching him to people that they know are going to hate him. Are they pitching him in a Rocky Mayavia WWF heel role early on? See, that's what I was thinking is that if, if this were pro wrestling, this would be the guy who is coming out there wearing a country club jacket with the boss grinning next to him and, and, and gripping him around the shoulder, calling him son and talking about how he's the future just so that the fans can get excited about seeing him eventually destroyed. And it seems like in a bunch of ways, that is what the UFC is doing, and yet, except the part where they, and maybe they are, and I don't just don't give them enough credit for it, realizing that that's going to be the fan reaction. Because when you hear Dana White asked about who you think are going to be your next big stars, and he says Sage Northcutt and Paige Van Zandt, and you realize, okay, wait a minute, do you do you understand that the way you you guys have treated them already, and you saying this right now is going to make the a large section of the MMA viewing public hope that the opposite is true. Hope that these people get just hammered by the Cody Fisters of the world. Which, by the way, the embedded is also worth watching for Cody Fister. Oh, are they giving Cody Fister with no Wikipedia page or some screen time on yes. embedded? Because I legitimately do want to watch that. For one, and Cody Fister, for one thing, he has a weird monotone where he does not seem like he can get excited or sad. About anything. That could work as a profile. Um, That's yeah. not the worst thing you could have. No. Um, also has a weird, like, regionally independent, non-placeable accent that I I don't know if I've ever heard before. Um, and is on there talking about how Sage Northcutt seems like a spoiled rich kid who's on the juice and probably doesn't have a chin and doesn't like to get punched in the head. Um, just because he did a bunch of karate tournaments doesn't mean anything. And you're like, okay, Cody Fister, I dig it. Also, when you see you guys contrasted, you know the UFC didn't go looking around on the roster and go, who's really going to go out there and, and give Sage Northcutt a dirty street brawl and, and find out what he's worth? Cody Fister, that's right. That's who. Uh, no, that's not what they're thinking here. Yeah, I'm going to just read some numbers for, for, the, for Team Fister. 
Uh, negative 1,400. That is how much Sage Northcutt is favored at the Westgate in Las Vegas. Uh, negative 1,250. That's how much he's favored at five dimes. Uh, negative 1,200. That's at bet online and top bet. And uh, the best odds you will find if you want to lay some money down on Sage Northcutt, negative 800. That's where they opened. So he opened at negative 800 and has become a bigger favorite since then. Uh, which doesn't lead me to believe be to be overly optimistic about Cody Fister. Although, I mean, he's partially right. Northcutt is a guy we just don't know that much about, so maybe he doesn't like to get punched in the face. Yeah, that is that is possible. Um, maybe he just spends way too much time messing around with his hair, which I'll tell you doesn't seem like Cody Fister does. <laughs> doesn't seem like a problem he has. Well, that's time he has to focus on Sage Northcutt that Sage Northcutt probably doesn't have to focus on Cody Fister. So advantage Fister as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Let's talk about Rose Namajunas against Paige Van Zant. Uh Namajunas going off as a slight underdog here to uh Van Zant. I don't know if I should be surprised about that or not, but I am. Yeah. I am a little surprised by that. Well, I pick Namajunas in this one um because I think that Paige Van Zandt is one of those fighters where we've seen some holes in the game and she's gotten away with them in part by being really aggressive uh, and pushing her, putting her opponents on the defensive and in part by, let's say, target selection on the part of the UFC. And I thought already that Joanne Calderwood was going to be a pretty tough contest for her, which, you know, is going to give the UFC props for that one, for putting her in there against some tough fights. And I think Rose Namajunas is not going to be any easier on it. I don't think you're... Especially the kind of uh, fighter we've seen Rosie Namajunas be from a like a mental aspect. I don't think you're just going to go out there, be super aggressive, get in Rose Namajunas's face, and make her back down. I don't see it. It's not to say she's unbeatable by any means. She's certainly not. But you're not just going to go out there and intimidate her by getting right up in her face and, and not backing down. Right. And she's not going to break on you, probably. I mean, Van Zandt is going to work a tremendous pace and that's kind of how she won her last fight and and she's very aggressive but like you said it's still very green i think it's a uh kind of a strange booking if you want to continue to build up Paige van Zandt. although if she loses to rose nama Yunus, i don't think it's the end of the world but you know, nama Yunus, just from like a strength of schedule standpoint her ufc losses are to tisha torres and carla sparza uh, who had previously been pretty good in that division. She also has uh, the win over Angela Hill, obviously. Uh, and, and Paige Van Zandt can't really match that. She's, she won against Alex Chambers in her last fight and then Felice Herrig before that and Caitlin Curran, uh, before that in her UFC debut. Uh, so I don't know, man. Maybe odds makers just know something that we don't, but, um, if I had 20 bucks, I never wanted to see again. Thug Rose would be getting that money. Yeah. At the, at the betting window. Well, and I think that go ahead and parlay that with Sage Northcutt. CME gambling tip of the week. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that one of the reasons, like when you say it's a strange booking, as we talked about before with women's straw weight, I don't know if there's just a ton of options. Mm. There's not a whole lot of different things that you can do there. And plus, even though it is a fight pass card, if you're going to throw it in the main event, people only have so much tolerance for a squash match in the main event. People are going to see what you're doing there. Uh, and, that's why if if I'm the UFC and I really do legitimately want Paige Van Zandt and Sage Northcutt and that ilk to be my future stars and stars in the sense where people are rooting for them and not just you know tuning in because they hope to see uh, some tragedy befall the, the people who've had everything going their way, then I, I would I would make sure to make some more bookings like that where people can't say I'm clearly hoping for one outcome. The Sage Northcutt fight in. And this is a guy who, in his last one, fought Francisco Trevino. I think we see what is going on there with Sage Northcutt. 
who again just seems so happy and wholesome and just glad to be there, glad to be doing whatever he happens to be doing, um, which maybe says something about me that that bothers me. Well, no, but I mean, and we did talk about that, but it makes you wonder, like, has the UFC ever looked around the arena at one of its own shows? Because if it has, uh, you won't see a lot of Sage Northcutt type dudes there and not a lot of guys who you think would, would turn out to cheer for Sage Northcutt. And in fact, I would say, uh, if a Sage Northcutt contingent starts to become a large percentage of the UFC, uh, live viewing audience, I would expect some fights yeah. in the concourse. Some fights on the concourse. Well, maybe you just hope for some fights on the concourse. Weirdly enough, mostly at UFC events, you don't have to hope for fights on the concourse because <laughs> I pretty much have always seen one yeah. whenever I've gone. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number four. We're breezing through this, man. I got my second wind. I'm ready for round number Woo! five. Yeah, that's what you think now. That starts right now. Ben, you know it's an action-packed week in the world of the UFC when we've already done four rounds. We're headed into our last round here, and it's like we're scrounging around looking for opportunities to talk about Jacare versus Yoel Romero. Uh, ordinarily, that would definitely be the co-main event of a UFC 194-style pay-per-view. In this case, uh, you know, you got Chris Weidman versus Luke Rockhold and Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor, so... Uh, Souza versus Romero is going to be kind of a, right in the middle of all of that, but one that I think we should all be excited about as as a contender fight because like Frankie Edgar's matchup with Chad Mendez the night before, you got a good chance of seeing the uh, number one contender come out of this fight in the middleweight division. Uh, Jacare Souza has been riding a, a a huge win streak, has been super impressive in his last several wins. Uh, Chris Camozzi, Gegard Mousasi, uh, Frankie Cars, the best wheelman in the biz, uh, and, and Yoel Romero, if anything, uh, kind of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Yoel Romero has taken a backseat to anyone, uh, in that division in, in terms of what he's been able to do, had the weird one against Tim Kennedy in September, 2014, but came back, uh, and defeated Lyoto Machida by knockout via elbows in the third round of their fight in June, which, uh, is an accomplishment, I would say. Also known as the gay Jesus fight. That is also the gay Jesus fight, uh, although, as we've talked about before, I don't believe Yoel Romero said anything about gay Jesus post-fight, but I do think he attempted to author a speech against gay rights. Well, what do you think his speech would be if he goes out there and he beats Jacare? What's in the news right now? You think I would that? think ISIS will probably make an appearance. <laughs> I would think. Oh, I mean, hey, if he gets on the mic uh, after beating a guy like Jacare... Big win for him. Jumps jumps on there, seizes the mic, and says, "Hey, hey, ISIS, what's wrong with you?" I mean, the place is gonna go nuts. It'll be the best PR would, move. He I can mean, make it would right be now. more popular, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, clearly, in the wake of the non-gay Jesus rant, uh, someone at the UFC must have contacted Joel Romero's people and said, "Chill, dog." Right? Like he must have gotten a chill dog about his post-fight interviews. Like, let's just keep it to what to walking us through the the replay of the fight, right? <laughs> well, or you know, are you saying that maybe this is the one where 
Yuel Romero wins and we give him the mic and he's clearly holding on very, very tightly to his opinions. Uh, and then at the end, just can't help himself and starts out. No gay Jesus. <laughs> oh, I would be surprised. Damn it. I told myself it's, this is the one thing I wasn't going to say. Uh, this fight is even almost exactly even. That feels right on the cards in terms of the, uh, Oh, wait, no, it's not. I was looking at, uh, silly me, I was looking at Warley Alves versus Colby Covington. Oh, good which work. Will, that'll be in round six. We break <laughs> that one down. Uh, Romero, slight underdog. Not very much at all, but plus 120, plus 130, plus 115 to Chakaray. Chakaray. You know, now this one, too, when you look at it, you look at the two top title fights, right? A featherweight title fight, a middleweight title fight, and then two of the... I mean, every fight on the main card looks pretty awesome, but two of the awesome fights on the main card, uh, middleweight and featherweight. One of those situations where you could be looking at the into the future of each division based on just who wins this one night's of fights. And, you know, I wouldn't really have a problem with that in either division. I think, you know, the winner of, of Jacare and Yuel Romero, book it. Yeah. Especially at middleweight where uh, no matter who wins that title fight, Weidman or Rockhold, and no matter who wins Jacare versus Yoel Romero, uh, hashtag would watch. It's like you're going to roll out of one top flight, amazing middleweight title fight directly into another one, regardless of who wins either of these fights, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. Yeah. And I mean, you might as well book the losers to fight each other, too, because I'm greedy like that. <laughs> well, hey, let's just let's calm down. But uh, it does seem like middleweight has been developing into a spectacular round robin kind of situation here lately. Uh, and that fight is, is definitely going to contribute to it. But here's again, where we come back to the question, I think we could just talk about this generally with this three days of fight stuff. I feel like by the end, and this might not be true for the fans who are just kind of picking and choosing what to watch. Hey, if I hear something cool is on fight pass, I'll go look it up. I'll DVR this shit on Fox sports one. Uh, check that out at my leisure. Once I figure out, you know, whether it's worth it, um, and then I'll really get hyped and sit down for the pay-per-view. But I think that for those of us who end up watching a lot of this stuff and watching it live, by the end, I think that our brains are going to kind of feel like mush. And it might be hard for us to really hold on to the information that we were just given. I think that it, it's going to be hard for us to keep track of. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, now knowing that I'm not going to have to watch that first event and can go ahead and catch up on that via internet video. The sparkle uh, in your eyes when you say that is, is relaxing to me. <laughs> but I, you know, ordinarily if the UFC goes back to back to back, two, two fight cards in a row and now three fight cards in a row, I think you could probably look forward to a lot of belly aching. I think the boo birds would come out and myself included. We would probably be spending around on the podcast talking about how hard it is to be a UFC fan these days when they're just stacking events so deep. Uh, I'm not hearing that this week. And frankly, I'm not really feeling that way either, uh, which surprises the hell out of myself, if nothing else. Well, the difference is look at the quality of fighters yeah, that you have lined absolutely. up. Absolutely. You got three nights of like quality fight cards and quality fights from start to finish. Uh, I'm so I'm excited about it more than anything else, which is another thing. If you had just told me the UFC was going to do three fight cards in a row, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I would not have told you I was going to be excited about it. Then you see the fights and you, and it starts to make more sense to you. But I think you're right. I think that by the end of it, by Saturday night, hopefully we'll get a lot of good fights, a lot of developing storylines to keep us interested. But, uh, this is going to feel like the last day of a rock and roll festival. Where, like, even if the band that you most wanted to see is playing last, 
part of your brain is like, Jesus Christ, just get this over with so I can go home and drink some water. Yeah. <laughs> you know who's really uh, getting the short end here? Kaylin Curran and Emily Kagan, the curtain jerker on Fight Pass, the first the first day of this three-day festival. Yeah, they're like the local bands that yeah. have been called out to play the second stage. Uh, before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit about some of the fights on this Tough 22 undercard because Edson Barbosa versus Tony Ferguson, I mean, good Lord, man. Hashtag will watch that. That's going to be uh, incredible. Also, Joe Lousen against Evan Dunham, I will watch without complaint. Uh, so, so many fights going off in the next three weeks that, uh, or the next three days at the end of this week, uh, that I do worry about some of them getting lost in the shuffle, but at the same time, you know, I don't think it's out of the question that a fight like Edson Barboza versus Tony Ferguson could just steal the show of the entire weekend. That could be the one we're still talking about on Sunday. No, there's, there's probably like six different fights that have that potential that you see that, uh, for all we know, depending on how everything shakes out. We could be coming out talking about on next week's podcast how surprised we are uh, that, you know, Warley Alves and Col- Colby Covington. Shit, we knew it was going to be close. Yeah, the odds makers told us that, but we odds. didn't know it was going to be so spectacular. Who knows? Uh, here's what I wonder, though, especially with the pay-per-view being the culminating event here at the end of it all. If the performance of the first two, especially the second one, since it's on the entire one on, on Fox Sports 1, if it's really boring. If it's all a real letdown, which seems almost impossible based right. on the lineup, but who knows? Is it possible that by doing this three-day huge build-up to your huge pay-per-view event that you, however subtly, hurt your own buy rate if you give people too much stuff that just doesn't really deliver and by the end of it they think, you know what, I'm kind of soured on uh, watch sitting down and watching UFC after the, that last two days. Uh, it felt like a real long slog. I don't know if I got it in me tonight. Or do you just hope that you can count on the power of Conor McGregor to pull you through that. I mean, I doubt it, man. I think that if, if the tough 22 finale is garbage, that people are just going to just be like, Oh, I can't bring Aldo McGregor. Can't happen soon enough. Bring on Aldo McGregor. Let's just get to that. And through all of this ridiculous bullshit, besides, I guess I would only counter with a question who waits all year for Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor. And then gets a, 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 a stinker the night before and is like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not even watching <laughs> UFC 194. I'm done with this shit. Like that would be a hell of a turnaround. Or on the flip side, once they've seen Sage and Page, they're like, I don't need to see anything. I've been else. to the mountaintop. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the future, my friends. All right. Let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, we're crawling to the finish here. Ben, we've talked about the UFC for five rounds for this, uh, supersized edition of the co-main event podcast. So I feel like it's only right to give a nod toward Bellator MMA and my just saying stuff. And that is that 37 year old new Bellator fighter, Josh Thompson uh, fought last weekend and said after his victory that he wants to fight six times during the next year, says he doesn't really care about the title, says he's here to help build up Bellator and he's down to fight an average of once every two months uh, next year. So I guess I'm just saying, hell, man, if they're all against Mike Bronzoulis and Pablo Vela Seca, why not? I think we could probably do it every weekend. All things are possible if you just keep getting the Scott Coker special in the matchmaking department. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, I don't know if you saw that Holly Holm had herself a, a, a big uh, welcome there in... I saw it. Yeah. Parade. A, they threw her a parade. A Holly parade Holm Day down in there in Albuquerque. In Berkey. Could not be prouder of Albuquerque's own Holly Holm after defeating Ronda Rousey for the UFC Women's Bantamweight title. 
I saw it because I saw it on Twitter when uh, the UFC put it out there with the hashtag homecoming. Huh. Homecoming, you say? I'm just saying, UFC, that one's free. You can have that one. That one's on the house from your friends at the co-main event podcast. The next one, the next one's going to cost you. I'm just saying. That's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at these three events and look ahead to next weekend when I think we're going to get into Donald Cerrone's fight for the lightweight title against Rafael Dos Anjos. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. See, we'll charge him when it comes down to hashtag home invasion. Yeah. Hashtag home cooking. Okay. I see what you're doing. Ha- hashtag home for the holidays. Uh-oh. Log into UFC.com for your holiday specials. Hashtag home for the holidays. Hashtag home appraisal. <laughs> okay, now we're scraping the bottom of the, bar- bottom of the barrel. I like it, though. I like it. 